we were able to go, oh, we now know their game plan. We know exactly what they're going to do. And so there's just this history behind it, and if you can keep following that history and keep following that rabbit hole, that's when you'll start understanding how intelligence analysis actually works because you can do that. And then what's even crazier too for civilian side of things, you can do that with data. You can do that with finances. You can do that with anything. There is a, there is a pattern. Just find the pattern, and that's really all it is. Hey, everyone. I'm here with my friend Chris, who works as an intelligence analyst for the Army. Uh, Chris is the first member of the Armed Forces I get to interview for this podcast, so I'm excited to learn all about it. And it just so happens to fall that we're recording this on uh, 4th of July, so it kind of feels especially uh, pertinent. So that's awesome. Chris, thank you for being on the show, man. Yeah, thank you for having me, man. It's 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 a good it's good to see you again because it's been I like know. what it's been like what six years, seven years since we've actually like seen each other in person. Yeah, I know you're in a different state now. We used to we for background for the audience, we used to do a little bit of theater together. That's actually how I know a lot of the people in my life. So yeah, Chris and I used to do that. Now we're on different paths, but I'm excited to dig into what we got to talk about. So yeah, yeah it's fun. To, yeah. It's fun to see you. Uh, it's it's great to see you too, man. Like it's it's really good to see like how you're doing and how you're living life. And I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing how you uh, progress through life because you're just killing it right now, man. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. All right, let's jump into this. So, Army intelligence analyst. What does that mean in a nutshell? And then I know you mentioned there's also kind of a civilian side of this ty- same type of job. So, can you kind of describe what you do in a nutshell? Uh, so there's there's different types of ways that intelligence analysts actually work. So there's the administration side of it, which is mostly physical security, uh, personnel security. So basically like checking clearances, making sure people that are need to be in the right place in the right time are actually there. Uh, physical security, making sure kind of, you know, locking doors, making sure that everybody, everything's up to code, uh, anything like that. Uh, and then the actual uh, intelligence analyst side of things, there's the actual uh, what you're making products, you're doing briefings to commanders and anything like that. There's, there's a lot to it but the the way that i put it is uh as an analyst our job is to try to be the best bad guy you could possibly be hmm. uh, we have to look through and make sure that whatever the enemy has we can monitor and we track very well and then we are able to present that to the commander in ways that they try to kill us so i always think of it as my job is to try to kill the guys that that are going in so that when they do go in they come out alive and not not dead yeah, no, that makes sense. So you're you're basically taking in huge amounts of intelligence information. You're you're looking at all of it, and you're and you're briefing higher ups on that. And you're thinking, obviously, that's the analysis part where you're thinking through, okay, how can they attack us? What what are our weak points? What do we need to do? Making sure that all that information is given to the proper people. Yeah, exactly. And we don't make any decisions. What we do is we we are very much uh, this is the current situation. This is what we think is going to happen. And this is what we uh, we think is like the most likely course of action and the most dangerous course of action. Gotcha. So those are the two ways that we kind of are able to assess and kind of determine whether or not uh, certain things are able to, to go through, for instance. So like with everything that's happening in Ukraine and Russia right now, yeah, that's one of the things that we're we, we consistently monitor, even though it's not in my specific AO. I am the person that's monitoring it for my unit specifically. Just to kind of like keep everything in the loop because uh, there are some instances of Russia and China starting to talk together and stuff like that. And since we we monitor the uh, Indo-Pacific region, that that's starting to kind of bleed into our AO. So I'm kind of monitoring that situation. Gotcha. Is this a job that you ever do in the field or is are you usually always behind a desk? 
Yes and no. So it's a little weird. Uh, there are times where we do actually have to go out into the field and assess. So there are times we have to put on a detective hat, go out there and go see a car bomb that blew off and see what the parts they use, see uh, if there was any chemicals that they use, see uh, if it's if any of the serial numbers that we could get from match the serial numbers that we got from the desk. There are times like that. It's very rare. We don't do it as much anymore just because the uh, – we're switch. We switch focus in the military from Afghanistan, Iraq, which is uh, more hybrid or in regular regular warfare, and we're starting to switch more to hybrid and conventional warfare, which is what we're seeing right now in uh, you know Ukraine, Russia, and and China and in Taiwan as well. Yeah, and so you mentioned that an intelligence analyst can be not just in the army, but you could also be in a civilian role as oh, an intelligence absolutely. analyst. What might that look like? Obviously, you're not in one of those roles, but you have some idea of what it is. Yeah. So um, a lot of times it's just consultations for, so there's like different, you know, they get the three letter agencies that you're still working for the government. You've got your FBI, your CIA, you're still doing the same thing that you would be doing in the military, but you're definitely behind a desk. Uh, you're more directly f- uh, focusing on policy at that point rather than actually like briefing things. So for instance, an FBI analyst might uh, try to assess would work with like Homeland Security or something like that and might assess like somebody coming in and monitoring that specific person and more focused on the individual and then having the agents actually go out and capture the individual that's uh, causing these issues, much like the CIA would or or Homeland Security or anything like that. That's specifically for that side. And then on the private sector side, you actually are doing more we had a guy who is mostly focused on chemical warfare. So you could be a chemical warfare specialist for, for your analysis. You could be a financial analysis. You could be a data analysis. There's so many different types of intelligence analysts that you can possibly be, and it's just such a broad spectrum of things. And then what happens is if you become an all-source like I am, you kind of take all these puzzle pieces and combine them into one and then present that information of like, hey, this is the puzzle that I see. This is the picture that I see, and this is what potentially could happen. Interesting. How'd you get started in that, Chris? Did you know from the beginning that you wanted to work in intelligence? No. <laughs> uh, I think the uh, the what happened was, I remember it was COVID. It was 2020, mm-hmm. uh, 20, like late 2019, early 2020. And everything kind of shut down. I lost all of my like acting jobs because like we were talking about before yeah. me being in theater. And I was like, you know, I I can't just sit here and not make money. And I feel like there's something that I could do that's better. So then I saw a commercial for the army went and I said, all right, let's do it. And I just kind of went in for it uh, head first. They gave me the option to do intelligence analysts, but I could have done like psychological warfare. I could have done cybersecurity. Um, There was a lot of things that I could have done. But what happened was all of those avenues closed off. So the only thing that was left was a was was an intelligence analyst. So okay. I was like, yeah, uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna take a gun and go out there and actually shoot people. I want to be like behind a desk and like use my brain to the best of my abilities. That way I can continue uh, helping people in the best way possible. So I just landed on that and chose that. Awesome. Is that a typical route that people normally take to get there? Do they, or do they normally come up as recruits and then eventually get promoted into your position? Like how do most people get to where you are? So you can actually, in the army, there's, there's different avenues, right? So from a military aspect uh, in the army specifically, you could choose what you get. And obviously you take like the ASVAB and all that kind of other stuff. But in the Air Force or like the Navy, you don't actually choose what you do. You could choose jobs and then they kind of slot you in the need of that of that branch, kind of the same with uh, the other branches there. So that was kind of nice. But usually when you're in the Army, you actually can come in as an enlisted soldier. So you can just come out. Of, I've got like friends that are just out of high school. I've got friends that are in college right now. I just graduated college myself. So it's like you can do all of that work with a lower level of education because the Army trains you up. 
anything will train you up to the level that they need you to go and be free. It's really great. Now yeah. you won't feel you'll feel like some of the some of the time it's really redundant. Like if you're able to like catch on very quickly or you're your different types of learning styles and that learning style really hits for you, you'll feel like that you're above your peers in certain aspects. So you might like feel like you're being pulled down, but you're not. The army is going to keep pushing you forward. And then, of course, if you have a college degree and you want to continue this, there's definitely like the Air Force. Uh, you can actually choose to be an intelligence analyst. With the same with the Navy, you can be an uh, intelligence naval officer. Same with the Marines. Like you can you can do choose that path for, uh, from that. Gotcha. So you can get a specialized degree before you've even entered the military in intelligence analysis. Is that right? Yeah, so uh, there's two different types of degrees. There's intelligence operations, which is the study of which is a bachelor's of science typically, uh, and that's the study of like how the intelligence operate, how the intelligence affects the operation. And then there's the degree that I have, which is an arts degree, which is the uh, intelligence studies, which is after all of the work that came through from your different intelligence disciplines, uh, which there are, there's some good some major ones. You come up with the final product and you you write the paper about it. So that's kind of the two different aspects of it. If you're try if you're trying to be more of like an all source analyst, I would recommend doing intelligence studies. But if you're trying to be more of uh, someone that is specific in your discipline or something like that, it might be beneficial for you to do uh, intelligence operations. Yeah, walk walk me through a little bit. What are those different disciplines that you could go down if you're not all source? All source meaning you just take all the information from the different units, you know, whether they're chemical or, or different things, but what what, what different specializations could you have? Yeah, so there's uh, there's human intelligence, which are your guys that usually do debriefings, briefings, and interrogations. Uh, those those guys are uh, they're the bread and butter of the all source. We we rely on them heavily because they get the firsthand experience. Usually, the information can be kind of hit and miss with them, but that's a topic for later. There's open source intelligence, which is literally you have a computer, Google it. That's essentially what it is. Like there's different systems and stuff that we can use, but like a really big way that analysts, the all source analysts use is uh, Twitter is actually a big, a big one. Uh, we get a lot of information from Twitter because it updates so fast and so rapidly. It's the same thing that we have that news agency uses. It's the flash reports. So the flash reports will come through very quickly, and we as analysts can actually go in and go, oh, hey, that's in my AO, and then like kind of see what's happening, and then we can start requesting different sorts of capabilities to see what's actually going on out there. Then there's signals intelligence, which is basically anything that comes from communications and anything like that. There's uh, electronic intelligence, which is your – that would be like your phones, your internet, your tracing, and everything like that. What else am I missing? Uh, there's, you know, there's computer intelligence, which is basically your hacking and everything like that. Yep. The, there's different major disciplines that are out there. I don't, I'm not, I can't remember all of them right off the top of my That's head. Okay, yeah, are, that's okay. Yeah, there are so many out there that it just you have this umbrella and all sources the is the cover, and then the different intelligence are the little stems that come out from it. Interesting. So how do you get certified in that besides getting a degree? Does the army train you up in order to do it? Or is it, can you pursue different degrees beforehand? Like saying, Hey, I want to be one of these intelligence officers, intelligence analysts. Can I pursue degrees beforehand and then hop in? Or do I need to kind of get in and then get the job? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So you, it's actually better for most analysts to come in from a background that's not intelligence. Got it. You'd be you'd be surprised. So it's like if you are, let's say you're really into like economics and math and stuff like that, you're going to be really good at intelligence because you'll be able to collect specific numbers. There's this thing that we call that's uh, battle damage assessment and there's battle damage estimates, BDAs or BDEs. Um, and if you are really good at math and crunching the numbers, like one of the guys that uh, that I've worked with was, you're able to predict and or count how many equipment 
people who have passed that are destroyed and come up with an actual uh, a tangible number for people to say, hey, this is what we think is going to happen. And uh, it, it is really good, especially if you're like in economics. You could be a financial analyst. You can watch illicit, uh, illicit finances go back and forth through. You, you do not have to worry about having a specific intelligence degree to get something. And it's actually better if you don't because a lot of the three-letter agencies look at look at your past experience more than your degree itself. Interesting. Chris, so let, let's get a little bit into the weeds here. What does a day in the life look like for you? Walk us through nitty gritty. What are you actually doing every day? Uh, most of the day I'm behind a computer, okay. uh, just kind of reading what's going on in a, a country that we're looking at right now. And then trying to determine whether or not it is important information that actually is good for the commander for us to use. Kind of the same thing that you would use in a civilian side as well. You would you would go through, you would read to see if there's any new updates or anything like that. And then if see if, if it's important to push up to the higher chain and see if there's anything that needs to change policy-wise or if it's the time to go ahead and strike against that target that you're going for. But a lot of the times what happens is we'll read up, we'll catch up on things, and we'll interpret all these different signals is what we call them, these, these this information that comes into signals. And we try to determine if it's noise or if it's an actual signal that we need to collect and, and, and assess uh, in order to push out. And that's typically today. Uh, we'll usually do a product. We have to create a product like once a week and brief once a week to our commander. Nothing too crazy. And then uh, there's also like we have to brief country requirements for anybody that's going into a specific country. We have to do just continuous updates in the in, in the in our AO, uh, our area of operations. I guess I should be able to say that a little bit better. Our area of operations and try to make sure that ev- the commander knows what's going on so that if anything were to happen, then he's able to make the correct like the correct judgment into how to pursue that action. Yeah. So all these signals are coming in, all this these little bits of information, do they come in as reports? Are they just like intel from boots on the ground or is it just a plethora of different sources? It's a plethora of okay. different sources. So we have, uh, there's another one, geospatial in- uh, intelligence, which is what my roommate has. Yeah. Uh, so like, for instance, let's use like the Ukraine-Russia conflict that's happening right now because that's the most relevant when it comes to what we're doing. So uh, for instance, we would use, let's say, we had a boots on the ground out there and they were collecting intelligence and they were able to see what was happening. So they're able to see everything there. So they would send a report up and we would get that report. Then we could use different imaging capabilities and sources, uh, which are just like images uh, that we we're able to fly drones over or use the air force and take pictures of the actual ground. So that's like our imagery, our imagery intelligence. Then we're able to use geospatial intelligence to be like, hey, are there any tunnels down there? Are they doing this? Are they doing that? Or what is, what are they doing to terrain to affect it? Why are they doing this? And then we'll like there's like all these different things that we kind of collaborate to to come up with what is the because on every the question on everybody's mind is what is the end state of Russia and why they even started to do this in the first place? And we have a, I figured this out about three weeks ago what they were trying to do and it's just now starting to come to fruition. So it's like we're we're able to actually predict pretty accurately once we get all this information and all the puzzle pieces we're able to put the puzzle pieces together and see like hey this is what we think is going to happen and so far we've been pretty correct on the situation that's happening over there interesting so you're taking in all this information i imagine you're writing a lot of you you said you brief like once a week you you create a product writing yeah. skills would be very valuable speaking 100%. skills communication skills yeah. very important for this type of job did you already have those skills when you came into the job or did you have to develop that on the fly? 
Uh, communication skills, I had that pretty well in hand from theater and everything like that that we that we talked about earlier. Uh, but writing skills, I would say that I had to develop a different style of writing. So there's different styles of writing, and I think everybody knows that. You have your more artistic style of writing. You're, uh, you're using more passive voice and everything like that. But military writing is completely different, and that's what you have to use no matter if you're in the civilian side or in the military side. You have to use military-style writing, which is write lower than a, uh, a high school level. Like high, like senior to lower, like yep. range, no passive voice, and you're just getting straight to the point. The faster you can write out and get your point across, the better, nine yes. times out of ten. Uh, that is 100% what it is because when you're out in this – like let's say you're out in uh, Iraq, right, and mortars are actually shooting over you, and you have to give the intelligence like, hey, this is where they're at. It's it's not a – well, You don't sure, write an uh, essay. We, yeah, you don't write like a 12-page <laughs> essay. You just go, hey, they're here go and then the yeah. commander just launches that launches <laughs> something over there and gets it done so it's it, you don't have that time and that effect effectiveness to kind of just go in and just be able to blab on and on about your job you have to go in and be super efficient and super and know exactly what you're talking about confidence is key for sure because no matter what and this is this is something that was trained to us you can make the wrong assessment it happens all the time you can cause someone to lose their life you have to understand that it's a numbers game which is really sad to say because whenever you make the decision to go out there or to send it like say, hey, this is what I think we should do, sir or ma'am, and they go, I agree with that assessment. Let's go. And they send a team out there and let's say two or three of those guys don't come back. It's not your fault. You just didn't have all the information that was out there. Or if you had that information and you overlooked it, that is something that can cause you to like really spiral and lose your job and you know really think about like everything. And so it's that's why it's like I always say – the more information, the better. Like if you're really good at digging deep into rabbit holes, this is a good job for you. But if you take all this information, you have to assess like, for instance, what we used to exercise, right, where it was uh, we had a car bombing, right? And this car bomb uh, was a stolen vehicle, and they stole two vehicles, and they switched the license plates on them. So we're like, oh, so we need to be looking for this vehicle with this license plate so that this bomb doesn't go off because the first one had already gone off. Yeah. So – that exercise taught us to be able to go, hey, there's clearly a through line here that you have to follow. Follow that through line out to the to the letter. So if you if you're an analyst and you see like, hey, they stole different weapon systems and stuff like that, like like RPGs or uh, or javelins or something like that from a like yeah. from a forward operating base, you have to understand that, hey, it might not be the best idea to send a non-armored vehicle out there because if a javelin hits the side of an unarmored vehicle everyone in there's dead so you have to you have to brief that commander and say hey they have the capability of breaking through some of our toughest armor and convoys yeah it sounds like so much of the job is separating that noise and all the data from what's actually relevant and using a lot of judgment skills yeah, it's a lot of judgment skills, and it's it really it comes down to it's like, am I giving the right information with the right time with the right accuracy? Yeah, uh, I think there's actually so how intelligence came to be was actually the culp uh, the culper spying. I don't know if you've heard of them or anything like that. Um, there's it rings a bell, but yeah, give yeah, us more. So there's give a us more there's a good there's a good uh, show called Turn uh, from Washington Spies. It was A and E. It was like three seasons long, and it goes through the culper ring, which is a, uh, which is a spy ring that was through the it was like Long Island, New York City, and it it kind of trailed down all the way through. So George Washington tasked this general 
to come up with timely, relevant, and accurate information as fast as possible. And that yeah. is how we we base intelligence off of today. It has to be timely. We need to know exactly what's going to happen, when it's going to happen, how it's going to happen, uh, almost down to a point where it's like, hey, if they stole this and we see that they have a, a normal attack pattern, like when they ambush us or something like that between the hours of 12 and 1, we need to know that this route between the hours of midnight to zero 100 it cannot be traveled through because that's when they attack usually so it, it's yeah. it's things like that it's like timely accurate meaning like hey anywhere uh, you can you can use a rough estimate number like they stole anywhere from 20 to 30 ak-47s right cool so we have an estimate a rough estimate number we also have a rough estimate a number of how that cell operates with normal people so it's like will they have enough supplies to fully have that so that's the accurate side of it and, and there's just uh, and the, there's but I go timely, accurate, and relevant information. So you yes. have to go make sure that the, actually, the information that you're collecting is actually relevant. So George Washington tasked that for this culprit ring, and that's the only reason they were act, uh, able to figure out the movements of troops from New York and the New York Harbor down to uh, through Virginia and Georgia and all that stuff. And that was one of the big reasons why they were able to win the Revolutionary War was because of the spy ring that was literally stationed in New York City right under the, the noses of the Redcoats. And it just went all the way down to George Washington. So it was this general and George Washington were the only people who knew about it. And documents actually came up, uh, I want to say, like 13 to 15 years ago. And that's how we actually figured out, like, wow. it existed. That's yeah. fascinating that yeah. it, it only surfaced just now, like, yeah, you know, exactly. relatively recently. That's awesome. So, Chris, give me, like, percentages on about how much time you spend on each task a day? Like how, how much time are you spending in meetings? How much is administrative stuff? How much is just communicating back and forth? And then how much is just like pure research? If you can kind of quantify those numbers for me, seeing as you're a numbers guy. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, so I'm a nerd. I research every day, uh, whether that's at work or when I get home. I'm always constantly on like the computer and making sure like, hey, I'm using my open source uh, intelligence, be able to use that. Uh, I'm using the resources that I have at work to be able to see that and try to figure out like all these things. I'm constantly trying to make sure that I know everything that's happening. So I usually spend, if I'm not like working out or doing like work, I'm usually spending like four to six hours of actual research. Gotcha. Um, I can usually create a product within an hour, but I'm also a really fast worker and it's usually like one slide PowerPoints. So it's like, I can usually create a product within two to five hours, but I usually dedicate like two to three hours a day to create the product. Cause I usually get a week to create a product. Mm -hmm. So I usually use that, those two to three hours to create the product and then adjust things as they come. And uh, as we say, the army adjust fire and just kind of like make sure that everything is in line with the, with what we need to make sure it's happening. And then I would say administratively, I, I do a lot of that as well. Like you kind of have to dual hat everything. Yeah. So it's it's one of those things where you have to do a lot of administrative work and you also have to make sure that you're continuously doing your job as well and making sure that you're in there. Meetings wise, we don't really do meetings as a in my specific area. Okay. The meetings that I usually go to would be briefing specific people, but those meetings I'm only in there for maybe 20, 30 minutes. I prep for the whole week. I'm only in there for 20, 30 minutes, and then you just gotta do it again next week. It's yeah. it's nothing too crazy. How much time in a day do you spend communicating with people? Because so far you've painted a pretty introvert's dream type of picture <laughs> of, of a type of job. How much time do you spend working with people? What's really nice is that you can be an introvert and do this. You don't have to talk to people. You can literally be inside your own bubble. Now, obviously, you still want to have the common work of like courtesies of like, hey, how's it going? And like, yeah, you, want, you want to have a little bit of that like water cooler talk. And you honestly want to be able to make sure that you're talking to somebody that's smarter than you or knows something more than you uh, on a daily basis because they might have some sort of capability or knowledge that basically says like, hey, 
I've been doing this longer. Have you tried looking at this? And that can open up a route for you and stuff like that. So talking to people is really helpful, but you don't necessarily have to. We have a guy that I, that I work with. He is very much introverted, doesn't go out a lot, and he's very good at his job. He is very good at what he does with research and capabilities and making sure that he understands everything. He'll talk to people on occasion to like get some advice and stuff like that, but he's very introverted and he's really good at what he does, and you can do that. You don't have to be this robust personality to go through. Now, granted, you have to have the confidence to be able to brief. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Having stage fright and everything like that can happen, happens to the best of us, but you have to make sure that you know what you're saying and how you're saying it, and you have the confidence to actually continue on with it. That's like the biggest things. If you can have that, you probably only need that for 30 to 45 minutes a day, then you're fine. You're going to be okay. That's awesome. All right. So just kind of closing this loop for you, Chris, I just want to think through, are there any other extra duties that people wouldn't think about with this kind of job? I'm just trying to make sure that we've covered everything that you would do in a day so that people have a real feeling for this is what the job is. If you're talking military style, absolutely. There's a lot that you could do. In the military, you kind of give you these things, you have these taskings that come out uh, from usually your commander or first sergeant that kind of come through the chain. And you get hit with these details. Like I've gotten hit with details for playing opposition forces. I've gotten details for uh, working with higher level of higher level of units when it comes to certain things. I've gotten trained on, you know, different weapon systems. You get constantly training and you get constantly moving and you get these details. Sometimes the details can be great. Out for details, if you're ever in the military, go for those. They're super fun. You have a great time. You basically do just shoot up people and it's it's amazing. It's super fun. But you also get can get those details where you're mowing lots or raking leaves in a hundred degree heat, or you are standing out in the cold and the cold and the rain road guarding for an event. It happens. But just know that when you're going into these extra duties, you're still doing something that's prevalent. It's like I got a detail where I was doing this the cold and rain stuff. And uh, it was for an event, and I was standing out in the cold and rain, and it was absolutely pouring. I'm in my uniform, it is drenched from head to toe. And then I remembered, oh, yeah, the guys that are doing this event right now, these kids, they lost their parents mm. in, in war. Like, they don't have a dad or a mom anymore. Like, they're just gone. And I'm like, what is – in my mind, it's like, what is an hour or two in this pouring down 40-degree weather for them to have two hours of fun? It's nothing. It means absolutely nothing how miserable I am. So it's, it's, it's basically like checking your levels and checking your humility and making sure that everything's good there. And then at the same time, you also uh, have to make sure like there are other options. Like I am the morale, and I put that in quotes, the morale of my battalion. So I am the single soldiers representative. So they, the, all the single soldiers that live in the barracks will come to me and say like, hey, this is what's wrong with the barracks. Hey, this is an event that I like to do. Hey, this is this, this, this. And there's, there's so many things. And then I'm also the MWR representative, which is, which is the more recreation side of it. So th what they do is they're like, hey, if we have an event that once you, you can go outside, you can go uh, my, uh, hiking, you can go mountain climbing, you can go do go-karts. So like, you, there's, it's morale and stuff like that. So there's these extra duties that you can do as well in the military that are really beneficial. And you do want to have those like in your back pocket because one, they're great resume builders for when you do want to leave the military and you want to go ahead and uh, go into that civilian side. It yep. shows that you could dual hat so many different things and that your plate can be – it shows how full your plate can be before you actually go through. And trust me, you need to have a large plate when you're doing these things because otherwise, when the stresses start building up, you have, these, you have the potential to leak information, and you don't want to leak information because that could be a danger to national security, and it could really affect your job. Yeah. Okay, Chris, so to close the loop on the education piece of this job, you mentioned off camera before that you are getting a master's 
in, in this field. Can you talk a little bit more about like what kind of educational background is usually desired in order to get into this position? What's a good thing to go for? And then what's possible? Cause you're still pursuing and going deeper into it. Yeah. So uh, to get into it, if you're going military side, like I said, you could just have a high school degree and you're fine. Uh, you don't necessarily have to have that portion. Now, when, when I went through the schoolhouse, uh, which is what we call it, you actually can go through a university that's there and they'll actually give you 27 credit hours of college for free. Nice. We had to pay like, a, like an administrative fee of like 90 bucks or something like that. But what's 90 bucks for uh, for 27 hours? And it's literally just yeah. like an application fee, the administration fee to get you in. And then, hey, if you pass the schoolhouse, you get 27 college hours. It's ridiculous. So you could walk out if you have like dual credits, like dual credits like from high school or anything like that, which I recommend if anybody from high school, if you're a senior or junior in high school, I 100% recommend doing dual, dual credits with your local community college. Yeah. Um, or if you're bored in the summertime, go ahead and do some schooling because believe me, that'll set you up for success. If you were to do that and then go straight into the military and then use this, uh, use the 27 hours, you could walk out not even being a full year in the military with an associate's degree for free, pretty much. And then you could finish up your bachelor's degree. Like what I did is I was able to finish up 48 hours of my bachelor's degree in 11 months, which is kind of unheard of. That's I definitely overloaded, but like you, you can do it. And what's nice is, is that uh, higher ups will allow you to take time from your work, from your work schedule to pursue school. So I, I would do it usually like during my lunchtime, I'd go and grab lunch, come back and just work on school. And they knew that from the uh, time of 1130 to 1300, which is like 1130 to one, I'd be able to just work on school. And that was an hour and a half of school a day. And I did that every day for five days. And then I would work on my papers when I got home and it was super easy and they were super supportive of it. And that's the really the only reason I was able to do that. And then with the master's degree for the civilian side of things, like the three letter agencies, they, they, they require you to have a bachelor's degree, like hands down, like you have to have a bachelor's degree. The master's portion of it just means that you can lead more teams more than anything else. If you have the experience from the military, your three years of uh, experience in the military, and you're coming out with a master's degree, you kind of fall into this early mid-level position. Whereas instead of an entry-level position with just a college degree. And then if you want to pursue even more, like what I'm planning on doing, which is getting my doctorate degree, then at that point, you'd be more of a higher up. You'd be in the policy decision at that point. You'd be making sure that, hey, this is the correct assessment and other aspects of that. So education is important. I 100% recommend it. Anybody that's in the military, that's not in the military, get a college degree. I know it sucks. Um, <laughs> but the good part of it is, is that if you do – so let's say you want to do – the army, but you don't want to do full-time. You don't want to be like what I did, which was sign my life away for three and a half years. Yep. You can do the national guard. National guard is essentially the same thing. You still go through basic training. You still go through your, uh, your AIT, your advanced individual training. And then once that's done, you're done. You go to work and be army for two and a half days a month. And then two weeks out of the year that you have to go in. And now with the national guard, you get deployed like the riots that happened in Washington, D.C. in January 6th, yeah. you know, you could get deployed to do that. But you're mostly going to stay in the United States in country. There are some times where you can you'll go out. Um, I had a couple of buddies of mine that went to Afghanistan recently and Iraq. So like you can go out and do that stuff. Don't get me yeah. wrong. Like that is a possibility. Uh, I actually have a friend of mine that's in Poland, Poland right now. You can do that. So don't be surprised if that happens. But it is starting to become a little bit rare and rare for that to occur. And then you can also do the reserves. Uh, same basic principle, but you're a full-time army. You're not owned by the state. You're owned by the federal government. Yep. So then the federal, if the federal government decides to go out, you can go out. What's great about these two aspects is if you're an 18-year-old person, like 18-year-old kid, I say kid because I'm about to turn 29. So pardon me. I know I'm right. old. But uh, if you're an 18-year-old kid and you just come out of high school, you want to be in the military, 
but you also like want to get your college degree, the National Guard and the Army Reserve will pay for your college full out. Yep. <laughs> like they, you will come out with zero debt for signing up for doing basic training, which don't get me wrong, it sucks. But you'll have the best time of your life and understand how bad it sucks. But you'll it, it, it's a weird feeling. You have to experience it and go through it in order for you to truly understand. And then AIT is just stressful. It's a lot of work. But if you can get through that, through the crap, then you're able to come out on top. And then you'd be like, hey, not only is like for the National Guard, for instance, not only did I get a $40,000 signing bonus, like a lot of my friends got. So they got a $20,000 signing bonus, which ends up after tax like $13,000. Yep. And then they would get an additional $20,000 added to their paycheck every every time they went into drill. So it would like come out, come out to that much. So it's $40,000 in your pocket right there, right? That's nice. Then on top of that, you're going to school. And oh, by the way, the Army will pay for it because of tuition assistance. Oh, also, you can use your GI Bill after 90 days of active service, which, oh, by the way, you get that at basic training. So it's it's like yep. you, you get all of these benefits for doing it. So I highly recommend anybody that's like, I want to be in the army, but I don't think active duty is for me. Go reserve, go national guard. I swear it is. It will help you out, uh, and it does get you that education that you really need to yes. per, to pursue after you get out. Because military experience is great. Having that college degree and the military experience makes you tremendously catapult on the uh, hiring pool of any individual that's out there. Yeah, definitely. And I think too, if, especially if you're a young person, some people need that challenge early on in their life just to prove to themselves that they can do hard things and to get that motivation. Like once you've overcome something that's really hard, then you can take that and go into other things in your life, even if it's not related and be like, you know what, if I could do this, I could do that. And you're willing to go and get a master's, go get a doctorate, go do something that's that other people might not be willing to do. And that makes you, again, more employable as well. So it's kind of a dual dual benefit there. Absolutely. Yeah. I was like, I don't think I'd be able to do, I, like I went to college before I, before I joined the army, I, w- I had like two-ish years of college at TCU, which is Texas Christian University. And I, I left it because I couldn't afford to pay for it anymore. And I just, I tried online school and I just never had the discipline to actually finish it. Yeah. And then I joined the army and then I did what I did, which was 48 hours of college in 11 months. <laughs> kind of insane that yeah, I just got that, that discipline. And, and I'm old, right? Like I joined when I was 27, just turned 28 while I was at basic training. Got the worst birthday present that I could possibly imagine, which was running for my life uh, <laughs> the entire time. Like literally my drill sergeants would say, happy birthday, Hurt. You're running more. You're running more. You're running. Yep. Like, they made me do like – oh, it was – horrible but gave they gave me the discipline to finish what you start and that's kind of the biggest thing is like a lot of people will tend to go and they'll they'll have this great idea and this great philosophy and they'll they'll want to go for it and then they just they get bogged down by the little minuscule uh tasks that come up and yeah you got it you got to go through and you got to hit them and you got to hit them uh, while they're there but if you could take one task at a time right like I kind of think of it as rucking, which uh, for anybody that doesn't know what's rucking, it's anywhere from 35 to 55 pounds on a rucksack. Uh, it's a backpack uh, that you wear. Uh, at basic, we did 50 pounds, which is way over the limit, but it's for the infantry. So we did that. We did 50 pounds for 12 miles, and we had to do it in three hours. We had to get to our destination in three hours. That is tough. That is a, a four-mile-per-hour walking pace with uh, with an additional 35 to 50 pounds on your back for what you already weigh and it is is tough right but what's nice is that hey don't think of it as a mile right so like hey i'm gonna make it to that tree that's 200 yards out oh awesome i made it to that tree hey there's a there's a pole over there that's 400 yards out. i'm gonna make it to that and if you make these little tiny goals all of a sudden you're like hey i'm at the finish line it's two hours and 56 minutes in i made it yes i can't walk anymore but i made it (laughs) 
that so is such a I, I wanna I wanna cut you off just for a second there. That is such yeah. a good uh lifestyle hack for anything, any challenge that you're facing. If you break it up into small enough pieces, you can do it. It's it's the cliche, you know, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? It seems like an impossible task, but you can always you could take one more bite. You you could go, you could walk a hundred more yards. You can yeah. and then once you've done that hundred yards, well, you can walk a hundred more yards. You know, like you can do that. Oh, yeah. And that's that's how you get through really hard things. So if you're looking to start a business or start a long degree path and you're like, oh my God, it's gonna be the next seven years of my life or the next this. Well, it's like you're gonna be seven years older in seven years anyway. Can you get through the next month? You know, can you get through the next week? Can you get through the next mm -hmm. day? And if you chunk your life in that way, that's how you accomplish big things. That's the only way that I've seen people accomplish really, really hard things like that. So yeah, that was just, I just wanted to highlight that because that was such a good point that you made. No, it, it is. It's like, um, what was it? So one of the guys that we did, we did a, a range, a weapons range. And one of the drill sergeants who that I look up to today, I won't say his name because he's still drill sergeant and everything like that. But yeah. I still look up to him to this day. He, he is probably one of the best individuals for motivating me he uh mm. and i'm, I'm gonna curse but this is what he said to me so <laughs> right. it was it was at the assessment i was 235 pounds i was just under the weight limit to be able to go in for body fat percentage or anything like that so i was just under that and we did this assessment week one right when we got into basic uh which was a one mile run i sucked i ran a mile in 15 minutes like it was bad and i fell on my back i was gassed i was tired my dr the drill sergeant walks up to me and he goes, Hurt, I'm going to tell you something. And I said, what, Drill Sergeant? He was like, you're a fat fuck, but I'm going to fix you. And he walked <laughs> away. And, uh, you know, a few weeks later, uh, fast forward to eight weeks, I was the one that was leading the charge during the 12-mile ruck. I was the fittest I had ever been. I ran two miles in 17 minutes. Like, this guy literally motivated me to that next level and maybe become not only a better person, but a better leader. And what's crazy is we were the same age. So like he knew like I could do all of this, but I had to break through this layer. So he basically tackled it one step at a time, one step at a time. And it was the same thing with the range. I was a horrible shot when I went through. And then he talked to me, he was like, hey, I want you to just think of this one target at a time, one target at a time, just focus on that target yeah. at that specific time. Don't worry about the time limit, just focus on that target. And sure enough, I went in and shot an almost an expert, like it, the next the next iteration. Like I knew what I was doing. I just had to focus. You have to focus on that one individual thing. So it's always something that if you can find that person that can motivate you, great, but just focus on one thing at a time and you'll get through everything. That's so good. So Chris, we've talked about some of the challenges. Let's dig into that. What is the most challenging part of your job? I would say just the constant research and keeping a good mental attitude about everything. Hmm. One of my buddies, uh, when the Ukraine war started hopping off, we... It sucks to say this because we had we had to do it, but we also chose to do it uh, ourselves. We went through Reddit and different open source intelligence and downloaded all the videos that were coming out uh, from Russia and from Ukraine and from the border and everything like that. Yeah, we had to watch it. So watching people who were riding on a bike turn into pink mist uh, and watching a woman get pulled out of her car and get shot execution style because she wouldn't provide documentation. Uh, watching shells after shells of mortar rounds come through and artillery strikes coming through and just seeing and hearing the cries, uh, seeing airstrikes on civilian uh, civilian areas, we had to watch it wow. because we had to know the capabilities. Um, yeah, it's it's tough job. If you are in a bad mental state, don't watch it. <laughs> now, granted, the reason why I was able to say that is because all of it's on Reddit. It still is on Reddit. And you can actually, there's also a YouTube channel that you can watch this stuff too. This guy pulls all the information 
and you're able to watch all this stuff. So it's all readily available for you to watch and consume and see just what is happening out there. It's crazy that that's the world that we live in right now, where yeah. literally you go into open source places and can find what's happening on the ground right now or 10 yes. minutes ago. Exactly. Yeah. And and yeah. that's that's one of the things that's one of the beautiful things about social media. And it's also one of the horrifying things of social media. Yes. And that's that's why we use it, because it's like. How else would we have known, you know, that there's the great video of the uh, of the BMP that got stuck in the mud and the, the tractor like pulling it out and then just did the farmer disassembling it while no one was there. Right. Like yeah. that, that's yeah. a great video. It was amazing. But like, how would we have known as intelligence analysts that they were, hey, this is all doctrine, by the way, like you can you can Google this. Russia has a BMP brigade and that brigade was what was out there. And so I was like, oh, hey, look at that. They did this and this and this and this and this. Like it, it's literally a part of the doctrine that we can see. So it's it's really interesting. It's like how can we confirm that they're using doctrine? Well, there's this thing called redundancy. So that's just hitting multiple different areas at the same time. Don't really have to go into it if, if, you're, uh, if you know what redundancy is. Mm -hmm. So we knew that this brigade from the BNP was there. Then we also knew that they were using – hybrid warfare tactics with the separatist groups in the Donbass region. Hey, when did they do that before? That was Georgia. That was Crimea. There's history behind it. There's a historical repeated pattern. Hey, there's redundancy there. There's redundancy with this BMP. There's redundancy there. Interesting. We were able to go, oh, we now know their game plan. We know exactly what they're going to do. And so there's just this history behind it. And if you can keep following that history and keep following that rabbit hole, that's when you'll start understanding how intelligence analysis actually works because you can do that. And then what's even crazier too for civilian side of things, you can do that with data. You can do that with finances. You can do that with anything. There is a, there is a pattern. Just find the pattern. And that's really all it is. Yeah, that's good. Chris, what do you wish that you knew about the job itself, about the industry, just about military in general before starting out? Like, what did you not know going in that you wish you could tell yourself? Oh, um, a lot. I would say military-wise, be physically, be more physically fit. Do training before you go. I was the least physically fit I was ever was in my life, and now I am completely the exact opposite. I would say. So you got to be more. You got to be physically fit. And you have to be motivated to do that. The other part of it too is really take care of your mental health, um, especially with this job. Mm. Whenever you do go through this process, you can't talk about. I would say eighty percent of your job. You just can't talk about it. You could say certain things like what I did today, but like you can't really talk too much about every aspect of it. Yep. So really, you just have to be able to talk freely about the things that you can talk about. And if you can't talk about it or you don't have the need to know or anything like that, then cool. Don't talk about it, but don't bottle it up. Get it out somehow. Find that outlet. For me, it's researching and trying to make the world a better place and playing video games and like watching TV. Like I have my outlets to be able to do that. For some people, it it's drinking, which is a really which is a really bad thing. And like yes. uh, for instance, uh, I had just recently we've had in the last year that I've been in my unit, we've had two suicides. So it's like you you have to understand like mental health is super important. Yeah. And I and I'll be the first one to say it. While the army has mental health and they're really focusing on that right now, it is not great. It is horrendous. Mm. Um, and from an active duty standpoint, so you have to find outlets that are able to help, which is why we have things for the single soldiers uh, that live in the barracks to be able to go out and do things. This is why we have recreational activities like camping and mountain climbing and hiking and all these other certain uh, activities that you can do that we have funds for that you could basically get it for free. Yeah. So it's like we have all these things to create that outlet because this job is tough. Not only is it physically tough, it is mentally draining. It is mentally tough. And if you can't talk about everything that you do, it just bottles up and boils and boils and boils and boils. And eventually you feel like you have nothing else and you feel like you're alone in the universe. And then you end up, you know, just taking the, taking your own life. And that's not 
it's not healthy and yeah. one well it's not healthy taking your own life obviously but like it's not it's just not good it's horrendous when it happens and it yeah. really affects a lot more people than you think it does is there this is a little bit off topic but i'm since you brought it up is there something that we could do or that the military could be doing better to better assist with mental health issues because i know that that is a common issue amongst veterans and active duty military i think just an understanding from the civilian side it's an understanding that when you're in the military you're different for instance when i was at basic we were being trained for brigade level wipes for for those that don't know what a brigade level is that's usually anywhere from like 3000 to 6000 people so just imagine you're in you're in a formation or like we call a soldier box and you've seen pictures of the soldier boxes are just squares and all these things and then oh a mortar comes in and everybody but 20 of them are dead mm -hmm. okay so that's their first mentality the week before i went to basic training and my one of my drill sergeants he was in afghanistan he kicked a rock it blew up he picked up a, uh, another one picked up a soda can it blew up like just debris on the debris on the ground wow. kills you so it's like when you go through this training you have to realize that like they're training you not only to kill, but to die. Yeah, and you have what well, it's not necessarily to die, but it's like how to not die, right? Because you 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 don't want to go in there saying, "Hey, you're gonna die today." No, you're gonna go in and say, "Hey, I'm gonna teach you how to live." But you yourself, right now, like in the philosophy of things, you're you're gone because the yeah. things that you learn now are going to change the outlook of life. So, like for instance, today's the Fourth of July. When we were doing training for mortar rounds and when I hear mortar rounds, uh, when I was out uh, doing my FTX or whenever we were doing exercises, they sound like fireworks. Yeah. So it's like if you're if you were in Afghanistan in a forward operating base or FOB. It can be very um, triggering. Yeah, very, very much so. And it's like no one knows how to control that. The mental health uh, people out there will always say like, hey, the five the five things you can see five, like the for PTS uh, and everything like that. While that's great and everything like that, there's medications that are coming out, which is good. There's certain aspects that are great. But I think just a, from the civilian side, it's a blanket understanding that the person that you know that's in the military when they leave are not going to be the same when they come back to you. Yeah. They're not. Yep. Um, you have to understand that. Like uh, I was doing some training with my unit, and then I went to holiday block leave, and I was in a very, very dense area, and I was very uncomfortable because I was literally being trained to not be in this area. And like my eyes were darting to people's waistbands, darting to people's chests. I was trying to see if anybody was carrying a weapon. I was trying to see if anything like that. I was looking for exits to be able to get out of. I was like, yeah, you're hyper vigilant. Like about everything. I, of everything, and it was just like why am I, and I literally looked at it, I was like, why am I like this right now? Like, I shouldn't be like this, but then I realized, oh, that's in my training to like, look for that stuff and mm. make sure that like, if something does go down, how to defend myself, how to run away effectively, because I didn't have anything on me. It's like, or how, how to help other people, because I'm not going to run away. Like I'm trained not to run away. If bullets go off, I'm trained to run towards the bullets, not away from the bullets. Yep. So it's like, when you come from the military, you have to understand that, like I said, the person that you knew is not going to be the same, just yeah. plain and simple. Um, from the army side of things, it's really frustrating to me that every time that a event happens, they immediately label it as PTSD. Hmm. Uh, it's 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 immediate. It's like it doesn't matter if it's uh you got angry and you had anger problems or anything like that. Oh, um, PTSD. Could, yeah, yeah, PTSD. So it's like a, yeah, a yeah. post traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. yeah. Um, then uh, the other aspect too is that like there's the programs for substance abuse for drinking and drug related instances that happen in the army. While they're fine, they've shown less and less effective because they don't 
tackle the problems. And yeah. that seems to be the thing is that the, the, the mental health in the army. They treat a symptom, but they don't fix the problem. Exactly. And that's, yeah. that's, that, that's the way that the army works in general when it comes to physical health as well. Like I've messed up my feet pretty bad uh, during a, uh, during my advanced individual training, and they're still messed up today. The gaming insoles, cool, but I still can't do everything that I want to do uh, or what I need to do, so I have to train myself to do that. Oh, but at the same time, while you're training yourself to do that, you can't do that because this happens. So the army literally is breaking people, and they're wondering about like retention rates and everything like that. It's like, yeah, it's because you tackle a singular issue, and you don't address the entirety of the person you just yes. address that one individual thing whether that be mental health whether that be substance abuse whether that be physical health they only go for that one thing and they're like oh hey you should be good to go in three to five weeks but some people's bodies are not meant that way like i i was told that i was going to be good for eight weeks eight weeks rolls by i go for a ruck i immediately re-damage my feet again mm. and worse worse so than ever so now it's like well crap uh, how do I get? How do I fix this? So I'm going through physical therapy. I'm doing all these things, and while all the resources are great, it just doesn't tackle the issue. It doesn't yeah. tackle the big picture. They're tackling one small thing at a time. And Sounds I think like we need to take things. a more holistic view of the entire person and the entire situation, as opposed to just compartmentalizing, which is part of what the army is so good at. Is like <laughs> exactly it's like yeah, it's like <laughs> let's deconstruct this completely and get it into individual bite-sized pieces of information, data points, you know, and yep. then let's tackle that problem. But really people are much more complicated and interrelated than that. And you can't just break down my feet hurt, treat feet. You know, there might exactly. be more going on. Exactly. Like one of my friends has like, like he basically, he strained his tendons in his legs. And so they were like, oh, hey, you have this. You can't do anything for eight weeks. And he was like, okay. But he wasn't able to figure that out until after he did a strenuous exercise where he rucked for 12 miles with a 50 pound ruck on him and a 50 pound sandbag over his shoulder. And had to do it in, a, in an hour in two hours, right? So he had yep. to do that, and then he was like, but he was already complaining that it was hurting. But the people were like, no, you can't go do that because you have to do this thing. So it's like, yeah, it, it really just like it's it, kind of it, talking it out shows. of both sides of their mouth a little yeah, bit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like what the heck? So it's like it, yeah. it, it, there's a it's obviously a bigger problem when it comes to physical health and mental health. When it comes to the army itself, there is a drastic problem that does need to be changed. A couple of people I'm looking at are possibly thinking about approaching like our, our chain of command and everything and see like there, there's got to be some change, but like they're doing a good job. Like, don't get me wrong. They're, they're, they're slowly moving into the right area when it comes to mental health, but it's, it's moving too slow at times, I think, yeah. especially for some individuals. And then for the physical health, my gosh, it has drastically gotten better since I was at AIT to now, essentially, like, which which has only been like a year at this point. Slow trajectory, but good trajectory. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's slow. It's methodical, but it is working. I'm seeing improvement. Like I am able to do the things that I'm able to do now with the inserts, but it took six to eight pairs of different inserts for me to be able to do that. It took different types of inserts. It took different tests. It took different, like all sorts of things and that they were able to figure out finally, yeah. but it just, it, it was just frustrating that the, it, it took that long. So yeah. it's like, when it comes to physical and mental health, they're getting better. It's just not where it needs to be right now. And it's not where they're, it's, it's at least not where the facade is when they showed to the American public that like, Hey, we're doing this. It, it's still clearly there and yeah. it's still not getting fully addressed, but they're doing a better job. Gotcha. So let's go back a little bit into intelligence analysts specifically, who'd be a good fit for this career and who might think that they're a good fit, but then find out once they're in the role, actually, this isn't for me at all. Anybody, so anybody that thinks that they are going to come in, this is a person that doesn't, that should not belong. Yeah. Anybody who comes in and immediately has a straight bias towards information and where it comes from. 
because hmm. uh, a lot of times the information that we'll get will be from individuals who are – I mean it's, it, they could be anything. They could be a gardener who works for – the person that we're that we're targeting or like stuff like that like they can, they can come from yeah. any source of information if you aren't trusting of that information like fully that's fine trust but verify is always a big thing don't get me wrong but if you aren't finding the redundancy in certain things so there's this thing called excuse me there's a thing called mirror bias mm-hmm. and what mirror bias is is you're going through the research and you're digging deep and you're trying to see uh what's happening and then you find this glaring piece of evidence that supports your ideology and your the way that you think, and you're like, oh, this is exactly what I need. And then you focus your entire argument around that piece when in the next sentence it says, no, that, that information is incorrect. But they found it in this article, so they're going to use that article. So that's mere bias. Um, that happens a lot, and wow. if you find yourself doing that more and more when you're doing your research, like not trying to get political or anything like that, but if you yeah. are specifically coming from one news source and you're only getting your information from that one news source, you have a mere bias. Stop. Yes. Um, you have you, to have an open mind. You have to yes. be able to take in information from all different sources and then correctly judge how relevant is this information. How you know all the different things that you said before. Yeah, you you have to you have to have that information. Like you have to be able to do that. A person that's a good fit for this is obviously someone that's able to do that or wants to challenge the way people think. That's how I kind of got into it. Is I'd like to challenge the way people think about certain aspects. So if you like to challenge people, if you like to challenge yourself mentally, I'd say definitely go for it. But you also have to be trainable. Obviously, don't be like somebody that is we, – we have a fancy word for him, but just don't be a jerk and do what you're told. Understand that discipline is evolved, and the more discipline that you have, the better that you're going to be at your job, and it's just going to help you out in the long run. Yeah, that's good. All right, Chris, so let's pivot a little bit. Uh, what's a stereotype about the job that is actually true? And then I'm going to ask you a follow-up question. What's a stereotype that people have that's actually not true? Intelligence analysts are nerds. <laughs> that's um, true that is a true stereotype uh if you want to know how true we are there is a company that's named palantir okay I now know, palantir yeah, started by yeah. peter Thiel. exactly so pa- palantir is a company that specifically does mostly geospatial and uh imagery imaging intelligence that you're able to like kind of select an area and they're able to show you exactly what is inside that area when it comes to forests, deserts, the terrain, the levels, all that stuff to be able to make sure for military capabilities, it's like we have mobility corridors so that people can actually travel through and see if it's actually feasible, right? If you look at the symbol of Palantir, I don't know if you're able to Google this right now, you'll notice that Palantir is, if you ever watched Lord of the Rings, the second Lord of the Rings, yep. uh, the, gl- the globe that uh, that Sauron uses actually to see through, yep, that's that exactly is the Palantir right. yeah. logo. Yep. <laughs> so it's like, I see it right now. <laughs> it's like, it is, it is exact. We are nerds. Another good example is intelligence analysts in the past have used World of Warcraft to war game and also use data for the cdc for them to use to be able to do that like oh my gosh we are nerds right (laughs) like if you are not like (laughs) if you are not nerdy in some way shape or form you're about to be one now it it could be a a specific thing when it comes to nerds like we have our sports nerds obviously and they're 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 super into data and anything like that but you have to be some sort of nerd um or geek or something like that to be in the world you gotta fit into it you just have to be uh i think the other stereotype that we get that's that's not true is that we that we don't care Mm. we do care we care tremendously but we are not god we cannot always predict everything uh for instance 
I mean, we could talk about 9-11 being the biggest intelligence blunder of all time. Yeah. We saw all this information coming through, but because it wasn't disseminated to, to everybody, it was held by one individual agency. This in- was held by this individual agency and back and forth. 9-11 happened. Yeah. We all know how that took. And then in 2003, 2004, we passed a bill that basically stated that's not going to happen anymore. And they created a new cabinet position called the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, the ODNI. That cabinet position is literally overviews all of the intelligence capabilities in America. So military intelligence flows through them, CIA, FBI, all sorts of intelligence agencies will flow to that cabinet position through the director and everything. And they're going to be able to do and assess certain aspects of things. So that was a way that we fixed it. Um, there are obviously the, – the worst thing about intelligence, I would say, is that whenever a mistake happens, you have to assess yourself and assess like where the mistake came through. Yeah. And I think just you, no matter how deep the scar is, like 9-11 or how bad it hurt, you got to go through and you've got to methodically pick out what went wrong. And then once you figure that out, you can make it a better place. Yeah. That's good. So Chris, talk to me about career trajectory. I know you said you're working on your master's degree so that maybe you can move up and be one of the decision makers that's taking in the intelligence. What does career trajectory look like? Do people typically start in intelligence and then stay there their whole career? Do they go civilian side? Like what's possible once you've done what you do? Are there roles that people typically have before getting this particular role? Yeah. So if you want to be in the intelligence community as a whole, it's a very small community. So I would recommend, uh, obviously, if you're going to be in the civilian side, you want to stay away from military as much as possible, get your bachelor's degree. Doesn't matter what it's in, but get your bachelor's degree. They're also going to look for stuff that like, that makes you stand out. Study abroad. That's a huge one. Have a worldview. They really look into that. So if you get the chance to study abroad for a year or a semester in Italy, Germany, France, anything like that, Study abroad and be embedded in that culture for as much as possible. They, they really look into that. I, so that's if you want to stay on the civilian side. If you wanted to go military side, get in quick, and you can be enlisted like I am and do your job just as good, uh, if not uh, on the civilian side. You have all the capabilities that you get on the civilian side, yeah. but instead of being like – like me, I'm an old enlisted, right? Like I'm, I'm about to turn 29, but like some of my peers are – 24 some of them are like 1918 so it's like you can there are ways where it's like you can see yourself trajectory at a very fast pace and that is the way to do it uh having military experience and then if you're able to get a college degree on top of that you'll have three years of military experience and a college degree oh by the way that really sets you up because now you're not only have a bachelor's degree but you have over an entry level position so you're going to really be taken off in that in that trajectory but you can also stay in the military. So like I'm also looking at the possibility of once uh, I've kind of finished up this contract or actually I'm starting the process here pretty soon. I'm looking at going into commissioning into the Air Force to be an intelligence officer. So I, I'm trying to do a switch right now to where I could become an intelligence officer with the Air Force and be that team lead for intelligence work. So I have that that capability to move up in that yeah. kind of sense. And so if I was to go into the civilian sector afterward, then I have that, hey, not only can he lead a team and lead a company of people that are doing a specific task, but he's also an analyst with this background and this and this everything like that. So it really helps as a whole having that military experience, but it's not yes. necessarily needed. Uh, having world experience is definitely a requirement. The more you travel, the better it looks. Uh, I know that's weird, but just remember if you're applying for, for clearance, make sure you write down exactly where you traveled, where you stayed and how long you were there for, for the last 10 years. Don't be like me who had to try to remember everything because, <laughs> because I didn't know that that was a thing until just recently. Yep. So if you if you traveled out of country and you still have your passport, go through that little passport book 
and go from 10 years to the date that you're starting and just move on through and see where you travel to because trust me it's going to yeah. when they look into that they're going to look into that stuff so it's you got to make sure that you're on top of your p's and q's when it comes to the paperwork for it but no seriously really just be a part of the world obviously don't do anything that's going to get you in trouble don't do drugs uh, or don't get at least like in some like in some places like marijuana is legal and they'll ask you do you take marijuana and if you answer honestly like say yes if you do say no if you don't have you ever taken it? Say yes if you have or no if you have it. And they, it's not going to be against you in any sort of way. They're just trying to see like when was the last time you did it? Are you a uh, – is it a problem that you have that you're trying to fix or anything like that? Because right. if they see a history of you using it, like if it's a one-and-done thing, like you just kind of did it when you were camping one time and you're like, eh, whatever, and then you did it. It's not the end of the world, especially if it's an illegal state. They can't do anything against you. They're just they're just asking you to make sure that right. you're good. So just like be honest and open when it comes through everything, and you'll get your clearance. You'll be able to do this job, and you'll love it forever. I promise you. If if if, if you like the job, I know like yeah. one of my friends, he doesn't like the job. He's very smart. He's very educated, but he doesn't want to do this anymore. And fair, fair why, enough. Why it's not? not I, I'm curious. Why didn't he like the job? So, um, I think more or less it's the leadership in the army more than anything else because he's really good at the job. I also think that he um, more the structure and the hierarchy of everything. No, because he's okay with that. I think he's 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 usually okay with that. But I think it's it's a toxicity of like certain leaders and everything like that okay, that are in the yeah. army. And then I also think that he it wasn't what he thought it was going to be. He thought it was going to be something like Jason, uh, not Jason Bourne. Jack Ryan, right? Yeah. Where he's 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 an analyst, and then he goes out and gets deployed, and then he has to take the guns and just shoot everybody, right? Like it's not that. Yeah. Uh, if you ever watch the series on Amazon with Jason with uh, Jack Ryan, yep. uh, John Krasinski plays it. Uh, the first like two episodes, when he's sitting at a desk and he's like holding stuff like in his hand and yep. he's just reading documents over and over and over again that's the that's job, the job. <laughs> <laughs> if you ever go out in the field count your lucky stars but that is the job yeah uh now there are times when you're on the civilian side of things you'll get deployed with armed forces because you'll be their their consultation you get paid some buku's money doing that but that is also a rare rarer occurrence. It will still happen because, like I said, the Office of the Director of National Intelligence makes sure that everything funnels in. So if you ever watched uh, the the uh, I was it the Iraq the Afghanistan invasion movie with uh, with one of the Hemsworths and he was a Green Beret. I did see it and I can't yeah. remember what it was called. Yeah. So th there was a there was a moment when the CIA when the guy from the CIA comes in and hands him money and then he bounces out. That's because of the the office of the Director of National Intelligence told mm -hmm. them that the CIA has to be out there. There were also people from the D the Defense Intelligence Agency that were out there. There were people from all over the uh, government side of things that were out there. So you just have to be be aware that you will be able to be deployed, but you just don't have the physical you don't have the 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 very strenuous physical requirements that a military aspect has. Yeah. Gotcha. You mentioned money. That was my next question. Walk me through compensation. What's, what does entry level look like mid career, late career? What, what's possible to make? So from what I've seen on the average intelligence analyst make with a college degree with zero years of experience is around, depending on where you live, 60 to 80,000 a year. Got it. Which isn't bad. Yeah, um, not bad for entry level. For entry level. It's not bad. Uh, if you have a clearance add about an additional five to 10,000 on it, Mm -hmm. uh, if you have a polygraph, add about another $30,000 to that because a polygraph is massive when it comes to it. Um, so what is polygraph? So it's, it's like, it's a, so the polygraph test is like, it's that lie detector test that you take. Yeah. Um, so all you do is you have to go to, I think there's only two or three places that are able to do a polygraph test. I won't say them in, like yeah. for obvious reasons, but, uh, you sign up for the polygraph, you go do it. And then once you are qualified 
and you have that ability, you basically have a certificate or some sort of training that allows you to say like, hey, I've been polygraphed, which means that I have the high, I can have the highest level clearance that is possible, which weird thing, I have the same clearance level as the president of the United States. Hmm, crazy. Right. So me, I have the same clearance level. Now, the president doesn't have the need to know for certain aspects. You can actually have a clearance level above the president of the United States, and that's what the polygraph does. So it's like it, it just allows you that extra layer to be able to go deeper into it. Um, Is that an option for anybody in your role? Because it seems like like you would want to do it if you could because if that gives you that it's level dicey. of security. So it's dicey because you have to have a good justification for it, and a lot of times you don't have the justification for it. The clearance – if you if, if the job requires it, the job requires it, you're going to have to get it, like, no matter yeah. what. But when it comes to that, like, that's super easy to get because, like, you'll get phone calls. They'll – it's basically like a job interview for your clearance, right? Like, you're not right. – don't sweat it. Answer the questions truthfully and honestly. Move on with your life. Like, yeah. it doesn't – it's not that bad. But when it comes to the polygraph, you have to have a good justification for it. And honestly, it's starting to it's starting to become almost impossible to get one for a specific clearance level that I can't well, that I won't mention. But like, yeah. it's pretty close to impossible to get one for for that level. Interesting. So you said sixty to eighty k is possible for entry level coming out with a bachelor's degree, and yep. then depending on what level of clearance and certification you have, you might add you know another five, a couple 10, more. 30, yeah. yeah, a little bit more. What about like let's say let's say you've been in the in the role for you know five ten years? Are you at that point probably tapped out and you need to get promoted in order to make more, or what does that look if, like? If you're in an entry level position in an intelligence role for three to five years or longer and you're not already a mid-level analyst, something's wrong. And yeah. you kind of have to kind of figure out what's going on. You need to do a performance review with your with your uh, supervisor, see what's going on and why you're not getting the promotion that you need. Because at about the three to five-year mark, a typical analyst should be making in the close to six-figure range Yeah, um, pretty quickly, especially if they're really good at their job. Ideally as well, if you want to get promoted faster, get a master's degree is always a good a good option. That's why I'm doing it, uh, just to be able to be able to get through that portion and be able to get uh get that higher salary when i get out of the military does the army pay for a good portion of that master's degree oh yeah you could uh, so um depending on how you how you work things out your tuition assistance if you get it to use your bachelor's degree you can't use it for your master's degree however you can use the gi bill post 9 11 gi bill or the uh montgomery bill to be able to pay for your master's degree then and it's really helpful because uh, while you're getting your master's degree with the gi bill they'll pay for your housing so if you're out of the army, like they'll pay, they pay BAH for the location that you're at. And that could be anywhere in the world, right? Because I'm looking at going to King's College for my master's degree because I'm, I'm just starting the process to kind of get into that master's program. So it's like I'm looking at going to King's College, which is in London, which is a really prestigious school in London if it no is. one's ever heard of King's College. Yes. So I'm trying to get into that school, and I was looking, and I was like, oh, I wonder if the GI Bill will cover it. And sure enough, it does. And not only do, does it cover it, but I also get $3,000 additional for living out there, for just living in London. So it's how, like, oh, cool. How cool so would my, that be, dude? Right? Like I'm getting paid to live in London, <laughs> and I get to go to school for free. So cool. So it's like the benefits are great. So you can do it. You also can use your GI Bill while you're in. I don't recommend it. Um, if you have the funds to be able to save up, like I, like I have, like if you want to start your program, you can. If you, let's say, for instance, you use your TA, your tuition assistance, and then you try to do it again for your master's, you do have to do a, a re-up essentially to be able to reactivate the tuition assistance. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to do that just yet, so yeah. that's why I'm kind of like weighing my options on this, but I am planning on starting it. My contract ends pretty much like August around this time of this next month. I'll be able to start looking at uh, re-upping my contract for, for an enlisting contract, so I'm pretty close to being out at this point, which is pretty ridiculous. Time fly up flew really fast yeah um, seriously yeah i'm almost i've almost been in for two years now so it's two years next month and so that's when i'm able to kind of 
re-up if I so chose. So it's like, yeah, you can pay for your master's. You can't pay for your bachelor's. Like, let's say, for instance, you have a bachelor's degree. Before you go in, you become a specialist. And then it's like, hey, I want to use my TA for a, for a master's program. You 100% can. There's plenty of programs that you can do that. Uh, you can do it online. Uh, you can do all that stuff. And trust me, it doesn't matter where you get your degree as long as you have the master's, pro master's degree. I promise you that. doesn't matter. I think that's just one of those things that you have to kind of really think about. That's why I'm thinking. I'm kind of taking my time yeah. talking to my dad a little bit. Uh, actually, I'm, his wedding is this week, so I'm actually going to go uh, talk to him and see how he's – go to his wedding, and then we're going to talk about like master's and doctorate programs and all that kind of other that's stuff good. so that we can figure I'm out. you have that relationship with him that you can bounce those ideas off of. Absolutely, yeah. So it's like it's it's one of those things where when if you do want to go to that mid tier level, obviously I recommend getting a master's degree, especially if they're saying like, hey, you just don't have the education to lead a team yet, go for that master's degree. And then when you get to the upper echelon of it, you don't necessarily have to have a doctorate degree. It just makes you makes you more prevalent. It also gives you a fallback. So let's say you hate being an, an, an uh, intelligence analyst and you have a doctorate degree, but you like national security or international relations or policy like that, you can do whatever you want with that degree with that doctorate degree there. I promise you that. That's good. I just got a couple more questions, Chris. I think like two more here. Let's do it. Let's talk work-life balance. What kind of hours are you working? Do you have any say over that? <laughs> Not in the army. <laughs> yep. um, in the army, uh, I could be, I was at church one day and I was 10 o'clock in the, in the morning and I get a phone call and they said, Hey, we need you here in an hour to drive a, to drive a military vehicle to a city about three hours away. It's like, Okay, so I had to leave church to go do it. I mean, yep. that's just the way it is. Sometimes when you're when you sign that contract, you are a soldier twenty four seven. Like that is that is legitimately it. Like I had to have my phone on loud every night so that if someone calls me, I could pick up the phone and be like, "Hey, we need you here at this time." It's like, cool, copy that, and then I go. Normally, though, that doesn't happen as often. Uh, it's usually I usually wake up about five o'clock, get ready for the day, then uh, we'll go and work out. Uh, usually from six thirty to seven thirty, get some breakfast, then go to work. Work starts at nine, ends at about four or five yeah. and then i'll come home and kind of relax like it's not it's not horrible it's your typical nine to five job if you wanted to work out in the morning or you could work out in the evening um depending on like the civilian side of things but because of the army we work out in the morning so yeah simple as that makes sense uh do you have any funny interesting on the job stories or any awful horror stories that you have the secu or security clearance that you can actually share i mean Funny stories? No, there's not a whole lot of funny stories. I mean, a lot of a lot of my stories come from basic more than anything else. Yep. Or AIT. But in all honesty, like when it comes to like job relation, not real. Oh no, okay, okay. Though no, there is actually a pretty good son. So um remember the army trains you to kill, right? Yeah. So when you first get out of basic, all you want to do is just be like, oh, I'm army, kind of thing like that. And uh our teacher, yeah, I guess I could say teacher. Our teacher basically showed us a video um of this line of cars so he showed us two videos and it was from afghanistan and i i'm pretty positive they're open source so it's i i i i've seen them i've seen one of them on cnn before it's hysterical um but uh what it is is that they were taking a, uh, an image of a target that, they, that was moving across the uh desert and it, they were in a vehicle and they were seeing that there was a caliber gun on there and they wanted to take it out they took it out super easy right the terrorists learned very quickly how how this worked. Hmm. So what they did is because they were using infrared heaters. So what they did was uh, they would drive to a, like a parking lot and turn off the car. Well, if they if they thought that something was following, they would drive into a parking lot, turn off the car. And because it was nighttime, you couldn't use a specific camera, so they had to use the actual heat the heat infrared camera. And then 
whenever they would try to, they'd get all their friends, and so they'd see all these bodies just coming in and then like shuffling around and everything like that. Then all the cars would turn on at the same time, and then they would leave. Wow. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so you're like, oh, who's my target? Like, you just like lost it all. So it's like it was it was pretty funny to watch that video. It was like just you would see, you see all these people just scatter. Like you see all these all this this light just go off, and then you see scatter happen, and you're like. Yeah, that would suck. And then yeah. you just don't hear from that. You don't hear from that person ever again. Wow. Um, but if you want more information about targeting, there's a great documentary on Amazon. I want to say, uh, specifically focusing on targeting. It, it goes into like the 9/11 and like how they were targeting the individuals and everything like that. I can't remember the name of the documentary off the top of my head, but it's very good. And it goes into how how deep targeting gets because that is an aspect of intelligence that we do yeah, actually definitely. target individuals. So it's it is a good way to do it. And target individuals does not mean lethal action right it does not mean we kill them we're just monitoring them seeing what they're doing and seeing if anything happens that's yeah. i just want to put that out there that we, we're not always going to kill a target we're gonna a target could be someone that like i could be a target uh for for them because it's like i'm being monitored constantly right yeah so it's just something like that gotcha all right chris we're at the home stretch here final question What's the best practical advice you'd give to someone who wants to do what you do? Resources, next steps. I know you talked a little bit about this kind of throughout the talk, but just kind of sum it up for us. What's the best way to get to where you are? Degree, 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 college degree. I don't care what it is. No one cares what it's in. Uh, it could be in business. It could be in general studies. It could be in English. It doesn't matter. Just get a degree right off the bat. Not only from the civilian side of things, but making sure that you also can just have something to do with that degree because it is... Unfortunately, the way the world works now is that a high school degree back when our grandparents were coming out of things is the equivalent of a, of a bachelor's degree now. Like it really is. Yep. So you have to have that degree. I, I know the debt's going to suck. Like I said, if, you, if you're worried about debt and you feel like you can't afford it and, you, and your scholarships aren't there, Natty Guard, Army Reserve, I, I promise you they'll pay, they'll pay for it all. When it comes to that after the degree, I would say just be open-minded. Um, a lot of the world right now is very polar when it comes to certain topics. Like there's a yes. lot of things that happened with the Supreme Court lately. Obviously, we won't get into here, but like you, you cannot let the politics of what you believe affect your work because then instances – and as crazy as it sounds, instances like 9-11 will happen. Hmm. It, it, it can. You cannot allow – yourself to have these sort of biases, these mere bias that we talked about to be able to do that. You have to be open-minded. You have to be able to really do your research and you have to get your your stuff from all your sources to really effectively communicate what's going on. I, I'd say my final piece, just live life. Understand that like things happen and people make mistakes and those mistakes, if you're trying to go for like a clearance or something like that and you made a mistake like drinking and driving and stuff like that, mistakes happen. People understand. Don't let your past really affect you. Just keep taking the problem one step at a time. If you can't get a clearance because you uh, got busted for trying to sell marijuana, I mean, it happens. But you can do intelligence work, like we've mentioned before, without having the clearance. You can do data uh, data intelligence as a data analyst. You yeah. can do financial intelligence as a financial, uh, financial analyst, and you don't need a clearance for that. You don't. So it's like if you like numbers and you like uh, stuff like that, don't think that your life – the mistakes that you made in your past are going to affect you. They, they they will affect you overall, but like don't let them bog you down and believe that you can't do anything because you can still thrive with the mistakes that you made. Chris, that's a perfect way to end this podcast. Thank you so much for doing it. And it was fun to reconnect and happy 4th of July. Yeah, happy 4th of July too. It was a fun one. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the What's That Job Like podcast. Two quick things. One, please subscribe and review the show. It takes less than a minute and it does a ton to help. Two, 
I would love your feedback. Is there a certain career you want to hear from, a question you'd like me to ask my guests, or anything else? Let me know. My email is jameson at whatsthatjoblike.com. Again, that's J-A-M-E-S-O-N at whatsthatjoblike.com. That is also where you can email me if you are interested in being a guest on my show. I am rapidly trying to get hundreds of interviews because I think that's how this whole project will come together and help as many people as possible. So again, please subscribe, and I'll catch you next time. 